Good morning, North Star. Happy Sunday. We better start everything with prayer this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, we're so grateful again to be gathered together. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that you even uh, brought us to life. You, you gave us a new birth, Lord. You, you brought us uh, into your kingdom with brand new affections, affections centered on the word, Lord. We love Christians. We love the preaching of the word, Lord. We love singing hymns and songs to our great Savior, Jesus. Lord, today, like we just sang, we come humble before you. We pray that you would show us Christ from your word. Lord, I also just lift up a special need today. We just pray uh, for the fellowship here at North Star. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would mend hearts and comfort and uh, reconcile, Lord. We love you and we want uh, the world to see um, that we're Christians because of our love. And Lord, we're thankful for you and we're thankful for your word that you bless us by every time we open it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, thinking about your Bibles, please open your Bibles to, I guess, 2 Corinthians to begin with, um, chapter 3. Scripture's clear, isn't it, uh, that uh, not only is salvation, not only is salvation by the word of God, but, but sanctification or the change that takes place in our lives is also by the word of God. The ministry of the word in the church is central to the health and the life of a church. Today, uh, we want to... Uh, talk about that. We want to focus a little bit on that this morning. Who here has read the, the letter to the Hebrews, the whole thing? Anybody here read the entire thing? Yeah, okay, well, maybe two or three of you. I'm just joking. Uh, looks like a lot of you. Um, actually, this morning, I'd, I'd like to personally invite you to personally study sincerely study uh, the letter to the Hebrews in your New Testament. Today, is actually an invitation for you to study your Bible. That's as simple as this uh, message is today. Hebrews is a letter about a change in reality. In a sense, it's in a way, it's 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 a letter about kind of a child growing up to be a man. It's. Literally, Hebrews is about a change of covenants. Hebrews is key to our right understanding of God's word for interpreting scripture, using scripture uh, from one end of history to the other. Just for example, it's key to understanding passages, for instance, like Hagar and Sarah in Genesis. Who remembers that story? Yeah, that's, that's, remember the, the idea of cast out the bondwoman and her son? And that whole imagery of the bondwoman and the free woman uh, connected to Galatians 4, Hebrews talks all about that. That's fundamentally what it's about. Or in the passage you just heard uh, our brother preacher speak from God's word and the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 he, where he speaks of two ministries. The, the first ministry he speaks of is this ministry of condemnation. 
And then the second ministry that he speaks of, of course, is the ministry of the Spirit that's now come. In the the period between the cross of Christ and the destruction of the temple, there was a massive transformation taking place for the people of Israel. Their, Their old covenant, their whole context of their life. And I think since we live where we live and in the time that we live in, we don't have a a bit of the appreciation that we should have with regard to what that meant. But the, the old covenant, their whole context of life, the life of the bondwoman, so to speak, or the life of the child, to use another metaphor, was passing away. That life was being cast out in a sense. And Israel's new covenant, the life of the free woman, the Jerusalem above, or the Jerusalem of the Spirit, or to use the other metaphor, the mature man promised by God had arrived. And then this letter to the Hebrews, likely written somewhere around AD 60, we we know before the destruction of the temple and and the city in AD 70, the unidentified writer of Hebrews is giving a sort of a sermon. And, and in the sermon, the Holy Spirit is con- compelling the recipients of the letter, Jewish believers who were being hurt by people, people uh, that were being violently persecuted by unbelieving Jewish legalists, people refusing to repent and believe the gospel and, and clinging to the law and clinging to the temple that they could see standing there. And it was so hard to, for them to imagine a life of faith. The writer of Hebrews is compelling the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews to stay faithful. Don't move away. Stay faithful as a child of this free woman, using the Hagar and Sarah imagery again. Stay faithful to the promise of right standing before God by faith in Christ now. Even if it hurts. Even if you get thrown out of the synagogue or the temple. Or even if you get fired from your job. Or maybe even if you get ousted from your family. No matter what, you stay faithful to your hope in Jesus Christ. Because their old reality was passing away. The whole system of this old Mosaic covenant after the cross, after the once for all sacrifice of the spotless lamb, the old covenant needed to go. Hebrews 8 says it, says it was disappearing. The, the ministry of condemnation, as Paul put it, was leaving. It had served its purpose. The, the child, kept under custody, so to speak, was ready to become a man. To, to use the third metaphor. Now the ministry of the Spirit had come. The ministry of the new and living way has been, had arrived. The, the ministry that the entire Old Testament, by the way, had, had pointed to, had, it had finally arrived. Hebrews is saying, don't be tempted to run back to bondage. The ministry of death and condemnation can't save you, Hebrews says. The writer's saying it wasn't meant for that. That ministry had been glorious, the Apostle Paul says and indirectly, but now really has no glory at all compared to the glory that now surpasses that ministry, to the, the glory of God now in the face of Jesus Christ. This God calls the ministry of the Spirit or the new and living way. 
just a cursory overview of Scripture shows us that the Apostle Paul was persecuted badly for preaching this new and way. For example, in Acts 21, uh, verse 27 uh, it says the or Luke says the Jews from Asia, upon noticing him in the temple uh, regarding Paul, began to throw all the crowd into confusion and laid hands on him, crying out, "Men of Israel, help! This this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and against the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place." A beautiful picture, by the way, as a side note, of our grafting into the New Covenant. Wonderful, and we're so fortunate. The, the text goes on to say that they were seeking to kill Paul because he was preaching this, what they thought was dangerous, new, and living way. Paul was actually ordered to be taken into, into, into custody. In his life under the Old Covenant, Paul himself, or named Saul at the time, was a persecutor of those people who were walking along the new and living way. He, he, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. Earlier in Acts, as the word was spreading and more and more people were turning uh, their hope away from the temple and turning their hope away from its temp- temporary sacrifices that were unable to even take sin away, certainly wouldn't cleanse our conscience, more and more people were trusting the Lamb of God. And a man named Stephen, if you can remember, a a man, it says in the text, full of grace and power, the text says, by the Spirit of God, he was testifying that the new and living way had come. They were all natural men. They couldn't hear his words, and, and, and they were the, the, the words that were of the Spirit. And in the text in Acts 10, by, or 6.10, by the way, says, they were unable to oppose the wisdom and the Spirit by whom he was speaking. So then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. If you're preaching for, for a new covenant uh, truth that's, that's been prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament, and you're asking people to turn away from the, the kind of the shadow of things to come and go ahead and put your trust in the actual things because they've come, people that are tied to that without the Spirit are going to have a problem. And that's exactly what happened in the Old Testament. So he was preaching the new covenant, the covenant of freedom from bondage, freedom from death, the, the life based on promise that goes clear back to Abraham, for, for even clear back to the Garden of Eden, by the way, or even prior to creation, this plan was in place. And ironically, because all they heard was that he was preaching against their law, and he was preaching against their temple and their Jewish heritage, they decided to kill him. We, we have trouble even grasping that in our context, because if we can just go to the next church... They couldn't hear with ears of faith because they were blind people leading blind people. And the reality was that their only hope was in this new and living way the apostles were teaching at that point. Later, Saul, later Paul, he heartily approved of killing Stephen. He thought it was a good idea. 
Even though the sum total of the Old Testament pointed to this reality, this new and living way, this, the whole new reality of the new creation of God, Saul approved of killing Stephen who was preaching this ministry of the Spirit. Saul couldn't even see yet. Stephen said when he was speaking his last time, Stephen said, you men, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. This was a ministry of condemnation of death and, and death under the law, but now the ministry of the Spirit had come, and he says, always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you, he said, Stephen said. And, and which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, Stephen says, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become, you who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not observe it. Their whole law pointed to Christ. But Israel, pursuing, Romans says, a law of righteousness, did not attain that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, the Bible teaches us. Have you, guys, have you ever had your mind so convinced that one way of looking at something was the only true way and then later, you, you almost like someone turned on the light switch and you could finally see you were humbled to see your short-sightedness. Anybody have that experience? I know I have. That's the way it is with Scripture devoid of the Holy Spirit. You can't see until He turns the lights on. And then it's every place. The lights came on for Paul. The, the Spirit brought him to life and his chains fell off and his heart became free. And, and all of a sudden, his Old Testament wouldn't quit pointing to the New Covenant. Everywhere he looked, passages like Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael and Isaac and Sarah, they wouldn't shut up. He could see now. In Galatians 4, he writes about it. He even writes about himself, in a sense, as a persecutor of those uh, walking along the new and living way. He says to the Galatians, he says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the servant woman and one by the free woman. But the son by the servant woman had been born according to the flesh. Well, the son by the free woman through the promise. This is spoken with allegory, or or imagery is another way to see that. For these women are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, bearing uh, children into slavery. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the the present Jerusalem at Paul's time. Okay, The present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman, and who does, not, uh, who does not give birth. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the, of the uh, desolate one than the one who has a husband. And then Paul continues. He says, And you, brothers, 
in accordance with Isaac, are children of promise. But, but as that time, it, he, he who was born according to the flesh was persecuting him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now. The letter to the Hebrews is all about that statement right there. But what does the scripture say? He concludes, he says, cast out, cast out the servant woman and her son, for the son of the servant woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brothers, we are not children of the servant woman, but of the free. The true Israel the, is the Israel of faith in the promise to Abraham, the Israel of the Spirit. And so just like you can see throughout the New Testament scriptures, the sons of the servant woman, those clinging to the ministry of the condemnation, persecuted the sons of the free, those born again by the Spirit of God. That's what a lot of the New Testament talks about. Paul himself perpetrated and also experienced the reality of these persecutions. And so the letter to the Hebrews this morning makes the case, it says, stand fast in your faith, no matter what. Don't run back to the ministry of death. Don't run back to childhood, because the kingdom of God has come now. Stand fast in Christ, the King, even if your life is on the line. I wonder, what are you resting in this morning? Sometimes does it just seem like your Christianity is just a a mechanical list of moralities that people should or shouldn't do? Maybe you're constantly exhausted, constantly frustrated. Or maybe it's a guilt trip of, of righteousness based on your performance and your conformance. Does it seem like the message to you is, is just feel terrible about yourself and try harder? Or are you alive? Are, is your life marked by the new and living way? The narrow way now, lived out based on your godly affections now? Are you breathing today by the Spirit of God? In my past, I, I, I got a minor maybe almost insignificant glimpse of what it means to leave the status quo and and enter into this newness of life. I know many of you have as well. I I wasn't raised to be a Christian. I was raised to tell Christians that they were hypocrites and idiots. I did. I look back and I... And actually, I don't know if some of you might not remember his name, but Carl Sagan in a sense, was my pastor. Back in the 80s. Some of you know. But the Spirit of Christ, the, this ministry of the Spirit, crossed my pathway, and I repented and believed the Gospel. I came to life now, and, and my loved ones, they couldn't see it. And when I talked of my new heart, of wanting to glorify God, they, they thought I'd gone crazy. And they were really offended because I was kind of rejecting my upbringing and stepping into this new and living way that they thought was a big mistake. But it was just that I was alive now. It was like I could see in color for the first time. It's like I'd gone through the wardrobe and there were talking beavers and, and fawns walking around. If you get what I'm talking about. 
you can imagine in the first century how difficult it would have been to leave the entire environment of your life. Imagine that in your life this morning. If you walked away from everything that you knew and walked into an entire new reality, a new, a new, an entirely, entirely new atmosphere. Everything in the past revolved around the law. Everything in the past revolved around the temple and your people. Imagine what it would have been like for those to leave those elementary things and come to understand what those elementary principles fully were pointing to, what it all signified. Imagine how everybody else is still looking at those elementary things, those things that would be burned up, and then you're standing there looking at Christ fully satisfied in Him. That would change everything. And people would think you were crazy. In Hebrews 10, the son says, In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. It all points to him. All of that Old Testament, uh, Old Covenant uh, truth, all points to Jesus Christ. And it's a worthy endeavor, guys, to spend your entire life seeing how it does. I haven't counted each one specifically myself, but my Logos program identifies well over 200 connections to the Old Testament in Hebrews. But, but really, the whole letter serves to preach the culmination of the taking away of the first, the old Mosaic covenant of Israel, in order to establish the second, the, the promised new covenant uh, with the house of Israel. The promise where Jew first, through repentance and, and faith, and now Gentiles as well, even in Idaho, we're, we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all, Hebrews says. It turns out those Old Testament things happened literally and also served as prophetic imagery at the same time for the reality of God's ultimate plan for the kingdom of his son, as well as, well as final right standing uh, with God through the blood of Christ. And in fact, the whole scripture testifies of him this way. Hebrews shows the superiority of Christ and his new covenant over the administration and priesthood and sacrifices of the old. Hebrews shows how God is fulfilling his mandate to Adam in the ministry of the Spirit now under the last Adam. It's beautiful. It turns out that the framework for this kind of meta-narrative of the Bible is found in his progressive revelation of the coming kingdom through his covenants. If you think about it, you can already see it in your mind. In Genesis, God assigns Adam to being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth with the image of God, having dominion and subduing and reigning like God in his image. Male and female were made in his image and likeness, living out his pre-fall design for us on this planet is, is all to his glory. But of course we know how the deceptive works of the devil came in and, and rebellion against God was the case with Adam and Eve and, and death came in then and Adam broke covenant with God by eating to become like God. Of course, through his creaturely design, he was already created in the image and likeness of God. But everything changed. Yet, God was 
going to destroy the works of the devil by bringing a second man, so to speak, another final Adam. Where the first Adam brought condemnation and death, this last Adam would bring in everlasting life and destroy the works of the devil. You can hear it in Genesis 3.15. God says to the serpent, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise or crush him on the heel. Excuse me, other way around. Then later... Thankfully, by his grace, under the covenant he made with Noah, he promised that he would maintain a world and keep mankind from destroying itself so, so that the work of redemption might be fully realized. Even, though, uh, even through the devastating uh, judgment of the flood of God, hope would be on the way. Hope those, for those taking refuge in the ark of God's safety, Jesus Christ. The, the scroll of the book is written of him, by the way. Later he covenants with Abraham and says, Rescue is coming through you. In you, through your seed, Christ, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise. Children of promise in Scripture are believing that promise. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Then in even more beautiful imagery of the promise of Abraham, God brought the law, the Mosaic Covenant, alongside the Abrahamic Covenant so we could see transgression, so we could see sin and and the holiness of our great God. And and God showed a key to and a wonderful covenant truth uh, when he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. God didn't say, I'm hoping that it'll work out that I will be your God and you will be my people. He said, I will and you will. I will tabernacle with you. And the pathway to this new reality is based on the blood of a sacrifice. And the tabernacle and temple exemplified that promise clear up to the day that Jesus finally took his seat on his throne. Later in the Davidic covenant, God promised an eternal kingdom of peace and stability uh, uh, ruled by a descendant of David, a coming king sitting on that throne as kinsman redeemer of his people. David killed his ten thousands, but the true king, Jesus Christ, would overcome all enemies. Not only the ten thousands, but every enemy, and the exact, the worst enemy that there is, death would be overcome. Jesus himself, the king, would be resurrection and life. And his kingdom would endure forever. You and I, people who've trusted in the cleansing blood of Christ, we're citizens of that kingdom. Let's see, as the faithful Hebrews finally saw with eyes made useful by the ministry of the Spirit that Jesus Christ would be the the promised seed, the kinsman redeemer, and king who would spread the glory of God across this planet as extensively as waters covering the sea because he came to do his Father's will. Unlike the other Adam who rebelled. It's going to happen. In his everlasting kingdom, Jesus has created, he said, or the word says, a Jerusalem for rejoicing and a people for joy. You heard us singing earlier in the service. That's us. 
You and I are so fortunate this morning. We're so fortunate to have been grafted in among the Israeli people and their promises that were promised to them in the Messiah. We're so fortunate. God didn't have to do that. Here's the reality of his kingdom, by the way. Before you call, he will answer. And while you're still speaking, he will hear. Let's make sure we see as we approach Hebrews that from the history of Scripture, God purposed from before the foundation of the world a single redemptive plan stretching from the first Adam of the garden clear to its final conclusion in the kingdom of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. It's one cohesive story. Everything ties together. And the more you study your Bible, the more you're going to see connections tying it all together. And for some reason, it blesses your soul to see Scripture tied together like that. And the covenants of Scripture progressively unfold this preordained plan of redemption. Some call it the covenant of redemption. They all point to His plan for redemption, His plan for relationship and glory, where He is our God and we are His people. Guys, listen to this morning. The covenants weren't the thing They pointed to the thing. The sacrifices and burnt offerings, they weren't the thing. They only pointed to the thing. The judges and the kings, they they weren't the thing. They pointed to the thing. They all served as imagery pointing to Christ and his kingdom of glory. At various levels, those things had their glory. But now they really don't have any glory at all, as we read from 2 Corinthians 3 this morning, because the true glory has come. I want you to see that clearly this morning. It's so beautiful. Now to Hebrews. By the way, this is where the sermon starts. How are we doing on time? Now I'm just joking around. Verse 1. Remember that Old covenant, the Mosaic covenant was passing away, and because what it pointed to in its fullness had arrived, but without eyes to see or ears to hear, gifted by the Spirit of God, people under that covenant kind of have a veil over their hearts, the word says. And, and the ones who can see, the ones brought to life under this new ministry of the Spirit of Christ and His kingdom, are faced with a painful reality. Remember the, that which is born of the flesh. It persecutes that which is born according to the Spirit, Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac. So if you've come to Christ as a first century Jew, and you've left that whole system of sacrifices and burnt offerings and the temple and the leadership of those people who claim to know things, but they're actually, as we know, full of dead man's bones, you're going to have a big problem. It's going to be tempting when you're staring at the face of respected people hating you, and plundering your households, that, and, and even crying out for your ex- execution, it's going to be tempting to cut and run back to the shadow, the law and the temple and the nation, instead of standing fast in the substance, which was Christ. Guys, there was no choice for these people. There was no, there was no salvation in those things. Salvation was in Jesus Christ. So what you're having to do is choose between the truth, the substance, the real thing, and the thing that only pointed to the real thing at the expense of your entire livelihood. 
the Christian Hebrews, the first ones saved, they needed to learn to walk absolutely and only by faith now. Because the old covenant, the ministry that had condemned and and pointed to the need for redemption by the spotless sacrifice of God that you could even see exemplified in the sacrificial system, that system was passing away, yet the ones who, who could see it were painfully being hurt by the ones who couldn't. So the letter to the Hebrews, in its essence, is a compelling sermon for the believers to, to, and it was a sermon to exhort the faithful to be steadfast in Christ and don't go back to that old slavery of that old system because the glorious had come and it, and it would do you no good to run back because the, the blood of animal sacrifices can't take away your sin. So stand fast now under the new covenant in Christ's blood. This is what most of the New Testament talks about. Hebrews compels believers, literally says, pay attention. Hebrews says, don't drift away. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Eat this solid food of the kingdom. Be a grown-up now. Hold fast to your confession without wavering. Make sure you're living out the sanctified life. Make sure this is you. These things speak right into your and my hearts in our lives today. They're vital exhortations for our lives to be lived on today. Hebrews says to the faithful, We're not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Because this faith is the assurance in your faithful heart of of things hoped for and and conviction moving your feet of things not seeing, Hebrews says. Things not of the temple or of the old covenant system. Things of faith now. Hebrews says all those old things, those things of the past, they all pointed to the reality that's here now. Those things were like baby's milk. But now the prime rib is here. I wish I could smell it. Leaving the the elementary principles, Hebrews says, leave the ABCs of being a child behind. Those things that merely symbolized reality. Those things are about to be burned up, literally. Cling only to Christ now. It all points to Him. In quick overview, the writer begins his sermon by compelling the Hebrews, first of all, that all the Old Covenant prophets up to, until, and including John, uh, the prophets all pointed to Christ in their their message and, and in their ministry. God spoke long ago to the fathers through his prophets, his messengers, uh, in all kinds of ways. You can see it throughout the Old Testament. Uh, But now he has spoken, Hebrews says, in his Son, What those messengers pointed to has arrived now. God never called his messengers his son. He never called them to be worshipped. He never gave them a throne that would last forever. He never told them to sit at his right hand until he made their enemies a footstool for their feet. As prophets, messengers, 
literally sent ones, and our English translations use the, the word angelos or angels, they proclaimed God's word. They proclaimed judgment and the way of salvation. But now the Son has come. The prophet. The word of God himself. The one Moses spoke about. We need to sit up straight, Hebrews says, and pay attention to him. And Matthew, God says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Please, this morning, tremble at his word. Take it drop dead seriously. Hear what, heed what the Son says. The prophets only pointed to him. He's the reality. Listen to him. The word says. Speaking of Moses, by the way, faithful in all his house under the covenant of Sinai, Moses was a servant in God's house, but he wasn't a son. Hebrews says Moses was a testimony, foreshadowing, imagery of those things which would be spoken later. But, But Christ, it says, was faithful as a son over his whole house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence in the boast of our hope. That speaks to us today. Like the prophets pointed to Christ, so too Moses also pointed to Christ, Hebrews says. Hebrews goes on and speaks of Joshua, the faithful conqueror of the literal physical land. By his walking in faith and trusting God for for victory in the face of occupying enemies, Joshua brought the nation into the land of promise. They really did enter the land flowing with milk and honey, honey, but but it really wasn't real rest. Because true rest in the true land was something greater. Hebrews actually says if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So just like the prophets and just like Moses, Joshua and his victories only served as imagery for what was real. What would be realized in Christ, the true victor and true place of rest. Jesus himself said, what did he say? I will give you rest. Joshua's victories were only a dim shadow of the reality. Because Hebrews teaches that Joshua as well pointed to Christ. Only those who are obedient to the call. Those who flee the wilderness and cross over into the land of promise enter the true rest of Christ. Entering by faith now that the substance has come, only those will find rest for their souls. Hebrews says the word of God is living and active and sharp and and it's able to peer into the deepest recesses of your soul and and it's able to judge the the thoughts, the deepest thoughts and and the, the, the deepest intentions of our hearts. In the face of the word of God, the sword of God's spirit, your salvation will either be confirmed or the hardness of your heart will be brought out into the light and your lack of rest will betray you. Of course, Hebrews teaches that the Old Covenant priesthood even pointed to Christ. The the priests of the Mosaic Covenant, they offered gifts and sacrifices for sins. Their ministry served to help the Israelites have access to worship God for a little while. 
Maintaining a certain amount of right standing before God, the priestly ministry would at least hold God's wrath at bay for a, a little bit of time. But the problem was that the priests were sinful themselves. And there was no propitiation that came out of their ministry. And all their ministry could accomplish was to remind people of their sins year by year. The ministry of death. The ministry of condemnation. Besides that, they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. And also the impurities of the actual tabernacle or temple had to be atoned for. Praise the Lord. That the ministry of these priests, the, the ministry ordained by God himself, by the way, in the, in the tabernacle and temple only served as imagery for the true substance. The great eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, who was the true temple of the living God. Jesus Christ, guys, is the place of full Propitiation. He's the full appeasement of God's wrath for all who believe, to the Jew first, Scripture says, and also to the Gentile. Speaking of priests, Hebrews also teaches that Melchizedek, this enigmatic figure from the Old Testament, also pointed to Christ. Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God, it says, and, and, but not according to the Levitical priesthood of the Old Covenant. All the priests in the Old Covenant died. All of those priests died. But this mysterious Old Testament figure, Melchizedek, whose name means King of Righteousness, or literally King of Salem, or, or King of Peace, Hebrews says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. Yet a priest not according to the priesthood of Aaron. That priesthood was passing away. In fact, Christ was of the tribe of Judah, and he was priest of a different order, a priest forever, the text says, according to the order of Melchizedek. And again, Scripture says Melchizedek was a king, a priest king of a different order. Melchizedek pointed to Christ. Hebrews says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those, those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of his people, because he, he, thus, this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. By the way, guys, Christ is even superior to Melchizedek because he's God's son. And he gained access for worshipers by his own blood and stands eternally as the cornerstone of the new end-time temple not made with hands, not of this creation. The earthly tabernacle and temple and their priesthoods only served as imagery pointing to him and his new covenant. So cling to him, Hebrews. He's the mediator of a new covenant based on better promises, the word says. 
Hebrews must have been such a huge encouragement to the Jewish believers of the first century. And I know for sure because, because I've led others through this foundational letter, it, was, it, it will encourage your heart too. The writer is assuring each of them that it's worthwhile to suffer various trials for being persecuted, for standing fast in Christ, because he who promised is faithful. It all summed up in him. It all served as imagery pointing to him. And now that he's here, the old is passing away. All things are now new. You and I come into that reality. You know what, guys? The, one of the most beautiful pictures, beautiful truths of Scripture is that the reward Jesus and, humanity, and his humanity sought was the reward of the preparation of his bride. Jesus' earthly ministry was full of sorrows and hardships and persecutions and grief. The Hebrews were experiencing things like this. And I know this morning you're experiencing things like this. Jesus persevered for the joy set before him, for a bride made ready, washed clean and made alive in the spirit in an inheritance that extends to the very ends of the earth even in your home today he told abraham in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed the father says to the son your throne o god your throne is forever and ever our savior jesus drank every last drop of the condemnation of this ministry of death, the ministry written on tablets of stone, so he could bring each of us who believe into this ministry of the Spirit now, the new and living way. What had been glorious, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it now. That's our reality The wonderful grace of the letter or the letter of the law is that it condemns us to death so that by the Spirit we run to Christ for newness of life. That's our message to the dying world outside. The wonderful truth of the new and living way is that the Spirit of God is in control and it's a glorious way. It's the new way of power the new way of affection for obedience. It's the way of slavery to righteousness. It's it's all to the glory of God and His Spirit in us. Under this new and living way, the pathway of growing in, in righteousness, guys, the pathway is to exalt Jesus Christ in your eyes, uh, uh, we in, 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 in our hearts. Under the ministry of the Spirit, the, the more we focus on Him, lift Him up, the more Jesus Christ is magnified in our hearts, the, the more we're, we become like Him. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's the reality of the ministry of the Spirit. We don't browbeat each other to death with our condemnations. What we do is we walk by faith and we keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and we'll be changed into his glory. Hebrews 12.28 reminds us, it says, Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service 
with reverence and awe. Have you grown up this morning? Hebrews teaches us today to live our lives showing gratitude. Maybe your guys' recent circumstances have, have tempted you in some ways to become ungrateful. I can understand that. Hebrews teaches us this morning to serve our great king with reverence and awe. Is it possible that you've become cynical? Is it possible that you've lost your zeal this morning? Is it possible that in the earthquake that you guys are walking through as a congregation that you've started focusing on everything that's wrong? Listen to Hebrews. You have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Your life trajectory is the new and living way. So come on. Open your Bibles this this week and study this foundational letter. And let it encourage your heart and build up your strength. Immerse yourself in God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful, grateful to you. Lord, that in in the end, it it wasn't the temple, the animal sacrifices, the earthly priesthood. We weren't stuck behind the veil. We weren't standing outside the temple as people from Idaho wishing that we could have right standing before God, or even worse yet, not even caring. But Lord, all along, your purpose was to bring about this ministry of the Spirit. It all pointed to that. It all pointed to Jesus, our King, and His ministry under the Spirit of Christ. We're so thankful to You. We gladly, from our newborn hearts, Lord, show up to work. We gladly serve You this morning. We want You to be blessed by our lives, Lord, and we humble ourselves and ask that You would work through us. We're showing up to work today, Lord, as your hands and your feet. And we pray that you get all the glory because we're grateful to just be a part of it. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.